We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 450 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Hilton, and back-to-back days, it's back-to-back me, but this time a bit more serious than yesterday. Today we've got the story of Keeney coming up, but first, as of Tuesday, the news with some legitimacy as an update to the Negrada case. It all seems to be coming up Barcelona at least this week, and I know people really latch on to the why would a prosecutor's office bring forth charges of a crime of corruption without proper evidence. That's what Mike and I stated over and over again last week, which I think was still a fair question. And if they do indeed drop this case, that being the Spanish court who's looking at this criminal case because of improper evidence, as I've continued to speak to every close person to me in the law, that is shocking that that would occur. And again, that's at least here in the States. And to me, that would have been uh, pretty frankly a stupid thing to do with such a big name as Barcelona for the prosecutor's office to bring forth the charges with not even little evidence or weak evidence, but no evidence. That is still just, yeah, it, it's shocking. And that might tell you more about some dysfunction in the Spanish court system than anything that you could possibly imagine, which that opens up a whole different can of worms. So now the news is, though, and, and why this is being brought forth is that the news is that the Spanish Treasury found no evidence. And I've also released a report, no evidence that Negrera influenced results in favor of Barcelona. In addition, it was also reported that police found a document at a former Barca director's house, which was an arbitration report on Real Madrid, which had been requested by the club. Two more arbitration reports, which is basically just what the club keeps saying, which are just these reviews or technical analysis, were prepared by Negrera for Barcelona for one of the said payments. And those are reports on Gil Manzano and Mateo Lajos, with Negrera giving his opinion on said referees, which, why do we need, I mean, I feel like we can figure out Mateo Lajos, but anyway, that's a little bit of a, I'm just telling a joke. So what's interesting to me, though, is that some of the details of the case that we spoke about before, like the potential threat by Negrera to Bartomeu when the payments were stopped, you know, the case is dropped, though I am awaiting to understand the possibility of something like that. I would assume that all charges against all accused parties, including those two, plus Senator Rizal and then Barcelona, I'm assuming you can't just drop charges for Barca and continue the case with the charges for the other three as if they would be in any way culpable. It would be that there is no evidence in any way of crime of corruption. As we said, that that is what had to be proven with intent. So in the meantime, in similar but separate legal news, Barcelona has already filed five lawsuits against unnamed of yet at this present time journalists and media personalities on the ground that they tried to damage the image of the club with what 
featured as information about the payments to Negreira. There are nine more coming down the pike that Barcelona are planning to file, so that's 14 in total. So those are also being prepared at the present time. There's also an email being set up for socios to submit media that they think could be included in the lawsuit. But, you know, I do think that is a little bit more of goodwill than anything. The, 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 the club obviously is not going to just be able to look through little, little tweets about these companies or these media, or these personalities or whatever. They don't matter. I mean, these are, these are journalists or, or media that, that truly do have an impact on the way that Barcelona is viewed, likely locally in Spain, but potentially beyond. So I know that defamation is near impossible to prove in the United States, is what I'll say about defamation. And I mean, when I say impossible, I mean near impossible in a really bad way that in the U.S. here, there are defamation cases that wind up just not even getting thrown out, but they even go to trial and and the payouts and things like that are very small. So I am interested in seeing what the charges will be if a judge does take on the case. In addition, because again, I'm no expert in Spanish law, I have no idea how easy it is to prove defamation in Spain. So people can give me feedback on that. But if it is much easier to prove defamation in Spain than it is in the US, then you can actually put a ton of faith in Barcelona. Because again, if they are correct about no evidence and the things like that, I think as I tried to be calculated with the podcast that I put out, I mean, it wound up sounding like I was being overreactive. Again, I spent almost a week just waiting to figure out and get through what had been reported over and over and over again by, again, this in this case was journalists that, you know, we trusted in different outlets that should be trusted over and over and over again for a week. So that is what I made a podcast on. So it just consider those that, as Mike and I said last week as well, all of the different media outlets, especially in Spain, that so myopically focused on refereeing decisions and red cards and things like that about Barcelona being cheaters on the field, which again, was not ever part of being able to prove evidence that Barcelona were, were culpable in that crime of corruption. So again, the, those journalists and media outlets and in Spain that did such a thing, I mean, those are the names that are going to be attached to this. So it is really interesting. And I, I think from a political stance, this is a great move by Laporta. Honestly, it is. I mean, to, to instead of being defensive, Start to go on the attack, not to say even, this is even muddying the waters. This is just making sure that you are setting up the leverage that if you are as innocent as you believe to be, there is immediate evidence, obviously, of this defamation case that can be used, like legal documents now to be used in said defamation case. So I think while being on the defense in the case, going on the offense, and like many, I think of his financial gambles too, it feels like an all or nothing PR move. And that's what Laporta is. I mean, it, as someone who just, you know, tries to not even stay calm, but as someone who's a bit more in the middle on everything, I feel like Laporta is, you know, he always goes for broke. It's, it's either everything or, or not even nothing, but you know, it, it, it's, it's always too extreme with him. And, and in this case, I actually do say go for it. I mean, legally, if the club can afford the, the legal and the counsel and all those lawyer fees and things like that, if they can afford all those and aren't worried about it and, and really trust that they're going to win not only the first case, which there shouldn't be any buyout, but they are going to win potentially some of these defamation cases against you know TV companies or or newspapers or whatever. So I mean, then yeah, go for it. But big picture wise, if the court does side with Barcelona in civil court against journalists and media, it also really sets an interesting precedent in Spain about defamation, because again, I, I think the way that the club's image was defamed, I, I, do they? say it's over a certain amount of time, or I'm interested in what the evidence would there would be at, at all. So because if Barcelona can prove that journalists and media were purposely attempting in a coordinated effort or not to damage Barcelona's reputation, which is the definition of, def of defamation, that does open up the floodgates to quite a bit. Because in truth, you know, I've, I've been studying the history of this club for a while now. Any results from 1938 to like 1978, 79, 
due to the state of Spain at the time, can make a Kool-Aid wonder about almost any of those results that were, let's say, 6-1 or 8-1, or especially you go back to the late 30s and 40s, of course, and you're looking at some of those really wild wild numbers like 11-1 and, and 8-1 and things like that. You know, it's also a bit of a wild west from a player movement perspective, but some of it gets worse when you see some of those disparities in scores. Uh, and then I'm going to look at cases like the Alfredo de Stefano and things like that. So if Barcelona in court can prove that multiple journalists and media publish reports with the intention of damaging the club's reputation, again, geez, like that is a, there's a lot of relitigating to do. And Barcelona are going to be hated, of course, by neutrals and the like for crying about being the victim, especially in a case like this. So Unlike so many times in the Bartomeu era where it did feel hollow about Barcelona's tears because I think, again, it was Bartomeu's tears and we've, as Kool-Aid, kind of given up on any truth in him and Roselle and any of that. But th- that will mean that Laporta is right, that the club in this instance, in this defamation suit, is the victim of having their club and their honor and their name tarnished. So if Barcelona can prove it in a civil court, that may change quite a bit the way that they are covered even in Spain, the way you're viewed in Spain. I mean, I, again, that's to say that you could have to change people's mind. That's almost impossible to do nowadays, but there certainly would be a coordinated effort to do so. And also from a PR perspective, I mean, it's really important because I think about my own, say, path or journey as a Kool-Aid, and the idea of Mescaion Club is, is central. It's paramount to Barcelona's brand. And I know that nowadays that because every club, not saying that there's corruption in every major big club, but to get ahead and to stay ahead, you know, clubs, I think every club have had to make difficult decisions on how people would react to big decisions they were making regarding their club and some of the things that they've had to do over the time. I'm not saying like legally or anything like that, but they've had to do over time. But, you know, Barcelona and who Barcelona decide to be and choose to be is, again, paramount. And so during the Bartume regime, when so many times over, I'm reporting on a story and I'm saying, where's the Mexican club here? Where is that? Barcelona is, is above kind of all this other stuff that it feels like all these other big clubs have to wade in the dirty water about, right? And so Barcelona, I think, while I, while many will say, oh, that defamation is you're trying to damage and hurt Mexican club, I think that is something that Kool-Aid internally are working with. And I think for me, I, I would love it if this all turns up Barcelona, even more so that Barcelona will be able to reprove and reestablish that, yeah, we actually have been the virtuous club that so many attached to us from the beginning through our golden years and all those things. And we aren't part of what's happening with PSG and Man City and even some of the stuff with Bayern Munich that we have kind of done our best to keep our head above water with, again, there's little things here or there, but, but generally we've always tried to do things the right way. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Wrapping this whole segment up, as I've said from the start, the prosecutor's office and presenting evidence connected to the charges they filed is still the thing to keep an eye on, though. I mean, unless they throw that case out, <laughs> that's really interesting. But the more time and less evidence that exists, the stronger Barca's case in a defamation lawsuit may become as well. So I don't know. Maybe. I'm hoping. So either way, Laporte's press conference, which will likely be given in the near future, that's going to be must-watch TV at this point. And instead of giving the old, trust me, I feel like he does so often, I'm really hoping to hear why he feels like the charges by the prosecutor's office against the club were filed in the first place, and not just why journalists and media attacked Barcelona based on those charges. Because if he kind of does nudge that idea in the right direction to say, I have no idea why the prosecutor's office would file these charges, or this is why they thought that, like, is the going to be fully transparent about the prosecutor's office thought this about these payments and that's why they filed those charges but they were wrong to do so because of xyz and that's what i do want to hear exactly from him instead of we're under attack by all sides all the time not to say that that, of course they're denying wrongdoing but i would love to hear maybe he won't because it's legal counsel but i would love to hear him lay out just exactly why the prosecutor's office would make the decision they did from a legal sense again not just those that are attacking barcelona about all the things we're talking about so either way as i said before though unfortunately this whole debacle could drag on for quite a while and that's what happens in court so either both cases drag on for a while or just a defamation one does and unless different judges throw them out i mean what do i know i try to understand it but there are times when i am just a pretty informed idiot on a podcast and that is what it feels like right now so the latest news today is that uaf is opening up their own investigation into the case but if barcelona isn't worried about the criminal case i can't imagine they'd be worried about the uaf investigation either but again because it's uefa i'm noticing that one is being blasted everywhere by not only sports news outlets if you will but also news news outlets and so that one, for me, is the easiest thing to throw out because of what we've been following of this case. Not even this week, but even prior to. Like, UEFA should not really be involved in this. This is something that is generally only happening in Spain. So the fact that UEFA, UEFA is opening up an investigation, that one does seem a bit... Yeah, I'm not so sure about that one. So the only other news of the day is that Boyan Kerchich has announced his retirement from football. And I can tell you, maybe because we're so similar age and I felt like when he was coming up, I felt like I was coming up. And I've always really liked Boyan for, I guess, all those reasons. And he was just a a fun forward. I mean, he was more diminutive and he got into spaces and he scored some fun goals. So 
he did spend also his whole career too, from Barcelona to the UK to Italy to Germany to Netherlands to Canada to Japan. I have never really seen or heard a bad thing about him. And of course, he was really honest about the things he had gone through at Barcelona, the things he's been through in his life from a personal aspect. And I think that takes incredible bravery at the level he had played at. Of course, like it, it, it's almost like if you get to a certain level as a player or you come up at a certain club that you have to be stronger than that. Like mentally, you have to be just this, this rock because of the, the cauldron and the, the pressure that you've dealt with at some point. But if you can't deal with pressure at a certain point, like th- there's absolutely nothing wrong with the individual. So I've heard nothing but great stuff about how great of a guy he was. So particularly, though, that being with Montreal in the MLS when he also has matured and, and gotten a little older and been in a lot, a lot of different places since then. So... While he never became a star of Barcelona, and at 32, it does feel pretty premature for him to retire, I will look at his time at Barcelona with half-full glasses still. I think he scored some great goals, I said, and it was so fun because he was so full of promise. And those are the players that most Kool-Aids really enjoy, the ones that say, what is he going to be? What can he be? And while he didn't reach the heights that we thought he would, and while disappointment followed, I still enjoyed the first moments as they were happening. Much like Ansu of three years ago, you, you know, you can't take those first moments, that first full of promise and excitement from the journey that you were on at the very beginning. So, you know, and again, honesty about mental health did manage to get out of just the Barca bubble too. You know, a lot of different outlets did speak about that and that's kind of how they define Boyan Kirkic. So it was brave, way brave, by the way, at the time he came out about it. And I'm excited for what he may do in retirement if he so chooses to continue to either be a front-facing figure or working on things like mental health. Um, behind the scenes. Uh, I'm excited for what Boyan Kirkic I think is capable of as in retirement. So that I think is also a perfect transition from one former Barca forward to another. I think that again is a perfect transition to talk about Enrique Castro, also known as Keeney. So let's get into that story now. On Saturday, March 25th, it will be 42 years since Keeney was released from his kidnappers after 25 days. Usually when I cover Barcelona's history, I like to cover the greats of the past, like Johan Cruyff or Paulino Alcantara, or even the history of the stadiums. I usually do keep it pretty light. But from the last days of Juan Gamper's life to the assassination of then-president Josep Sunyol, there are some dark days in FC Barcelona's history as well. So today we're kind of combining those two. We're talking about one of Barcelona's all-time great goal scorers in Kini, while also talking about 25 of the darkest days in the club's history. This is the story of Kini's kidnapping. To those uninitiated with the story at all, it's important to begin this with a central figure. Enrique Castro, better known the world over as Kini, was a great, not average, but great player in his time, which is partly what made the whole situation that much more shocking. Maybe it's just the sporting Gijon connection, but Keeney in his day had the kind of star power that matched David Villa in his day. But instead of leading sporting Gijon as he was entering his prime, Keeney spent 1968 to 1980 with the Asturian club, becoming their all-time leading goal scorer and a club legend whose stadium now bears his name. He won three Pichichi trophies with sporting Gijon, scoring over 214 goals in almost 400 appearances. While he couldn't save his beloved sporting Gijon from relegation in 1976, he did lead them right back to the first division and to unprecedented success in what was considered now and should still be considered for a team in the second division, their glory days. They finished fifth in the league in 1978, second in 1979, and third in 1980, his last season at the club. And not to push the narrative too much on you a little bit, we haven't talked about the kidnapping yet, but there was something always about Keeney that seemed to be able to make the best out of a difficult situation. He did find a way to overcome throat cancer and continue his work as an important leader and sporting director at his longtime club of Gijon. 
He also found ways to manage his grief over the death of his younger brother, Jesus, who died in 1993 at the age of 42 while rescuing two boys and their father from drowning. For all his trauma and pain, Keating was revered as a man with a tremendous amount of kindness and time and abundance of care for everyone who needed it. Which does make the story of his kidnapping all the more heartbreaking, and is also what brings FC Barcelona back into the story. He signed with Barcelona in the summer of 1980, helping them win the 1981 Copa del Rey by scoring two goals against Sporting Gijón. And the fact that he even played in that match is pretty unbelievable considering what he had been through just three months before, but we are jumping ahead. So on the night of March the 1st, after scoring a brace in a 6-0 win over Hercules, Keeney was kidnapped by two men at gunpoint while stopped at a gas station. The two men showed him a Colt 45 gun and told him, not a word, get in. So with a gun against his neck, he got in his car and followed a van, where he was then taken into the van with a hood covering his head. His car was left abandoned, which is where the police found it the next day, and he was taken to a small cell under the floor in a garage in Zaragoza with his three kidnappers. His wife, Maria Nevis, was waiting for him at the El Prat airport in Barcelona, but he never arrived. She had flown back from a Sturdis that afternoon, and since he never came, she called the police. Fortunately for Keeney, though, his kidnappers were more economically and financially desperate than they were smart. They were not criminal masterminds. They had no real plan as to how to get the ransom for the person they had just kidnapped, nor what to do with the man that they had kidnapped and the high-profile person that it was. They were an unemployed electrician and two unemployed mechanics. It was this inexperience in criminal activity that did prove to be their undoing. They disagreed and balked at the number for the ransom. 350 million pesetas, 100 million pesetas. It was actually Keeney who suggested that they call his wife to begin the conversation for ransom, since none of the three kidnappers thought to have the number of FC Barcelona or anyone that may begin that conversations with them. It was almost as if the person they had kidnapped was a bit too important for what they were capable of handling. While they did throw out some threats that wound up being empty, again, the police and Barcelona did not know it at the time, but now, in hindsight, it seems like one or at least all three of them had no intentions of hurting Keeney in any way. As reported on by Sid Lowe, there was even a little antidote about how they gave him sandwich and he was using too much of their budget, which, again, wasn't much being unemployed and the financial issues at the time and their desperation. But apparently he was eating too many sandwiches and they complained about it to his wife to have the gall to do that. But it seems that those 25 days came down much more to, again, incompetence than it did some kind of master plan of kidnapping. And the Spanish police also made some missteps along the way, following a merry adventure towards France, where they had no jurisdiction, to have Barca captain Jose Ramon Alexanco deliver the ransom. Instead, three weeks after he was captured, the kidnappers had Alexanco put 100 million pesetas into a Swiss bank account with the promise that Keeney would be unharmed. 1 million of the 100 million pesetas was withdrawn on March 25th, and that was enough along with a lead on the van in Zaragoza to get Keeney safely through Operation Omega. Keeney was rescued from his small cell under a trap door in the garage on that same day. As for the Barcelona part of things, and this is due largely to the fact that Keeney seemed to forgive his captors and almost put this whole thing behind him, it seems like the worst fallout from this is remembered for the club and the results that followed. And when I say forgave, in January of 1982, when the three kidnappers were sentenced, it was Keeney who didn't press charges and also refused the 5 million pesetas in reward that he was owed. As for FC Barcelona, it was obviously a traumatic time for the entire team. Their guy that they lean on to score the goals, and there is something emotional about the guy who scores the goals and the faith you put in him and how losing him means so much to a club. Bern Schuster had refused to play against Atletico Madrid in the next week, but while he played on the promise of good news from the board, Barca still lost 1-0 anyway. 
Then in their next four matches, they lost three and drew once. These drop points proved too much for Barca to overcome in the title race, with a nail in the coffin likely being the 3-0 loss to Real Madrid on the weekend after Kini's return. They wound up finishing fifth in the Liga that season. He wanted to play in that Real Madrid game, but he wasn't allowed to do the physical and mental strain his body had been under for the last three weeks prior. The fact that he was capable of performing at all for the rest of that year, particularly that Copa del Rey brace, is truly incredible in itself. He wound up as Barcelona's leading scorer that season, and the next year, just nine days after the kidnappers were sentenced, he managed to score Barcelona's 3,000th goal in their club history. Having come to Barcelona at 31, he did transition to more of a role player for Barcelona in his remaining two seasons with the club. He then retired, reconsidered, and then returned to Sporting Gijón for not only three playing seasons, but many decades afterwards to the end of his life in sporting roles and different capacities behind the scenes. He died in 2018 at the age of 68 from a heart attack, and the funeral at El Molinón was attended by around 14,000 people. It was a fitting send-off for a man that, while remembered for a terrible 25 days, has a legacy both on and off the field that stretches far beyond those fateful days in March. All right, thank you again. That'll wrap up another edition of the show. As you know, it's also on Twitter and Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. You can join our closed Facebook group, plenty of discussion still over there, and the Discord as well. So the Barcelona Podcast, answer those questions for the Facebook group. I let you in. Discord, just hit that link. I let you in there. Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciate it. And welcome to the new patrons that have joined in the last few weeks after El Clasico. I love it. More than anything else, Barcelona, when they win El Clasico, people help support the show even more because they know that trophies are coming. And I think exciting podcast is about winning El Clasico. Yeah, they're much better than me rambling about defamation suits. So Patreon is the way to continue to help me making both those podcasts. Of course, YouTube, there is a video version of most of what I talked about today. Well, especially the Keeney stuff, obviously, but in the Getter case, going back to last week in case you want to brush up on that stuff. Again, prior to Barcelona kind of taking, I'd say, the upper hand of the advantage in all of this. So that is on YouTube. And of course, finally, we are on TikTok as well. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, Barca. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com